Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, Molly. My name is Madison. I'm 23. I... I'm reaching out because I just wanted to say thank you for just being such a positive and loving source in my life. I've been really struggling with coming to terms with my own codependency and building my sense of self in the face of, you know, crazy anxiety and depression after transitioning out of undergrad um and going through a breakup it's been it's been really tough but I've been able to find some peace and solace especially in my spirituality and you're diving into the major arcana and just all of the spiritual aspects of healing mental health issues has really been such an inspiration to me I and am aiming to use this within my own practice when I become a counselor one day. And I just, I really am so grateful to you and to the other submarines for being so vulnerable and sharing their stories. Um, yeah, thank you so much. Love you. Bye, Molly. Thank you, Madison, for that beautiful voicemail. It warms my heart to know that these topics that we've been exploring are helping you navigate your own journey. I'd like to take a second too to welcome any new listeners to the podcast and welcome back to regular listeners. This is Back From The Borderline. I'm your host, Molly, 
and I don't want to talk to your personality, I want to talk to your soul. The idea of alchemy is to reduce something with fire, burning it down so that something new can rise from the ashes. You can do this with your personality too. You can perform emotional alchemy. You've always had the power, you just didn't know that, and now you do. On this podcast, you'll learn to view your symptoms as saviors, as alerts from your body, mind, and spirit that want to let you know when you're out of alignment with the deepest yearnings of your soul. From chaos comes clarity. Through working with and integrating the concepts we'll explore together, you will emerge transformed, standing in the ashes of the person you used to be. For those of you who have been keeping up with new episodes, you'll know that a couple of episodes back, I was able to interview Naomi Sangreal about her book, Little Hidden Doors, which helps readers explore the power of their dreams. Today, we're interviewing a very special guest who you will be hearing more about shortly, all about the power of our imagination. And You'll have noticed that the past few episodes were diving into more liminal spaces. The term liminal is derived from the Latin word limen, meaning threshold, and it signifies a state of being on the threshold of change or a transition between two very different psychological or symbolic states. In Jungian psychology, there is a concept of psychological alchemy where individuals undergo a process of inner transformation and self-discovery, and liminal space is the stage where the alchemical transformation takes place, where the ego confronts the unconscious and undergoes a disillusion and reintegration, which is reminiscent of my favorite alchemical phrase that I've brought up multiple times on the podcast, solve et coagula, which means dissolve and coagulate, or fall apart and come back together into something new. The idea of liminal space is rich in symbolic meaning. It often involves encounters with archetypal figures, symbols, and experiences that are highly meaningful and personal to the individual. And this can include encounters with the shadow, the anima and animus, and other archetypal aspects of the psyche. In the context of our dreams and different imaginative states that we can take advantage of, liminal space refers to a psychological and symbolic state that's often encountered in our dreams, daydreams, and other creative or altered states of consciousness. And in this context, it shares some similarities with the concept of liminality from anthropology and psychology, but it takes on a unique meaning related to the fluid and symbolic nature of the dream and imagination. It's in these liminal states of consciousness in dreams and imaginative states, it's this place where the dreamer or the creative can confront and integrate opposites or polarities within themselves. And this might manifest as the reconciliation of conflicting emotions, the merging of conflicting aspects of ourselves, or the exploration of dualities in our own lives. And this space is amazing for exploring paradoxes and contradictions, 
helping us with splitting this symptom that many of us struggle with, the tendency to think in black and white terms. Dreams and imaginative states often present situations that defy the laws of logic and physics, and they can offer a fertile ground for examining the coexistence of opposing elements. Liminal space also can serve as a playground for creative exploration. In daydreams and imaginative states, it's the realm where novel and unexpected ideas can emerge. Artists, writers, and other types of creatives often tap into this liminal space to access their imagination, allowing for the generation of innovative concepts and artistic expressions. In part of her book, Little Hidden Doors, Naomi lists a few different very famous and prolific creatives and thinkers who unlocked some of the most world-changing ideas through the power of their imagination. I'm going to share a few of them with you now. Albert Einstein conceptualized his theory of relativity in a dream about cows. Russian chemist Dmitry Mendeleev first classified 56 elements in the periodic table in a dream. They appeared to him almost entirely in the correct order after struggling for days to figure it out. Danish physicist Niels Bohr conceived his depiction of the structure of an atom within a dream based upon planets orbiting the sun. The sewing machine was invented by Elias Howe after dreaming about cannibals trying to attack him with spears. Abraham Lincoln prophesied his own assassination in a dream where he attended his own funeral. And lastly, Dr. James Watson conceptualized our DNA's double helix based upon a dream he had about intertwining snakes. These are just a few monumental, reality-altering, creative visions that arrived through dreams. Pay attention. Record your dreams in a journal. Tap in to your own imagination matrix because you never know what medicine might arrive while you tap into the liminal space of dreams and imagination. Our guest today is Steven Eisenstadt. Stephen is the founding president of the Pacifica Graduate Institute, an accredited graduate school offering master's and doctoral degree programs in the traditions of depth psychology. The mission of the institute is tending the soul of and in the world. The concepts of depth psychology result from this long development and are at the core of Pacifica Graduate Institute's orientation. These ideas, like the importance of symbol and metaphor in personal and cultural imagery, or the recognition of the dynamic interplay between the natural world and the world of the human psyche, are articulated in each of the Institute's programs. Pacifica students and faculty contribute further to this rich body of knowledge through the intricacies of human imagination. In addition to being the founder of the Pacifica Graduate Institute, Stephen is a professor of depth psychology with a PhD in clinical psychology, a licensed marriage and family therapist, and a credentialed public school teacher and counselor. 
He served as an organizational consultant to companies and agencies worldwide and teaches extensively. Dr. Eisenstadt has explored the potential of dreams through depth psychology and his own research for more than 35 years. His dream-tending methodologies extend traditional dream work to the vision of an animated world, where the living images and dreams are experienced as embodied and originating in both the psyche of nature and the psyche of people. He wrote an entire book dedicated to exploring these concepts called dream tending. And in this book, he describes multiple applications of dream work in relation to health, healing, nightmares, the world's dream, relationships, and the creative process itself. On October 24th, 2023, Stephen released a new book called The Imagination Matrix, How to Access the Greatest Power You Have for Creativity, Connection, and Purpose. In the interview you are about to hear, we will discuss the concepts from this new book. I had the pleasure of receiving a copy of The Imagination Matrix and reading it on my recent trip to Asheville, North Carolina, which was a beautiful setting to digest this piece of writing. And I selected a small excerpt to read for you before we dive into the interview with Stephen. Stephen writes, Engaging wonder in the imagination matrix is not as much about what you see and hear as it is about how you perceive and listen. Seeing with an aesthetic eye toward what is fascinating opens perception into the deeper mysteries. Listening with a receptive ear for what is captivating opens hearing into the inner rhythms. Opening to a curious mind accesses the epic stories within and without all creation. These moments of enlightened curiosity companion you. Linear space and time yield to something more. You might wonder, am I hearing through lines of the source code itself? This experience of the imagination matrix might sound esoteric or even fanciful, but actually, it's more embodied than whimsical. In more than 40 years of working closely with colleagues and mentors, such as Joseph Campbell, Jean Houston, Marion Woodman, James Hillman, and many others in the Academy, I've had the privilege to confer with some of the greatest minds of the previous generation, meeting, sharing stories, and collaborating with international dreamers has also nourished this work, including with Chinese Jungian analyst and scholar Professor Hyung Shen. I have interacted with Aboriginal dreamers and Hawaiian kahunas. This work takes further inspiration from experiences with sustainability and seed-saving activist Dr. Vandana Shiva and community organizers Dolores Huerta and the late Cesar Chavez. The work of these foundational thinkers sets the stage for and opens the doors to our consideration of a matrix of imagination. I draw upon and build on their works along with those of Carl Jung. I now offer my concepts to the canon based upon contemporary research and the evolving circumstances of our times. My work synthesizes the contributions of these seminal thinkers, along with findings in the fields of philosophy, new physics, and more, into a new vision for understanding yourself and others. 
It's also informed by indigenous cultures who have explored the universe of consciousness consisting of an illuminated cosmos above, the movements of planets and stars, and an animated world below, the interrelated networks of animals and landscapes. The imagination matrix system brings together these multi-dimensional states of awareness, earth, mind, machine, and universe. When these states of awareness are integrated with information systems, communication networks, human curiosity and wonder, a sort of magic occurs. You must shift out of the rational mind, which is focused on doing, and open your curious mind to the imaginal process. This change of perception readies you for the adventure to what Joseph Campbell called the outer reaches of inner space. Now that you have an understanding of the power of liminal space as harnessed by our dream world and imaginative states, as well as the incredible background and work of Dr. Eisenstadt, it is my absolute pleasure to bring to you our conversation exploring his new book, The Imagination Matrix. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast. I am here with a special guest, but I'll let him introduce himself to you now. Uh, thank you, Molly. Yeah, I'm so happy to be here with you. And I am here because there's something new that's moving through my work. And my work is now including exploration and journeying in the deep imagination. I was the founder of the Pacifica Graduate Institute, and then I evolved a practice called Dream Tending different from dream analysis or dream interpretation, dream tending, which is now an extended network with, you know, smaller communities all over the planet at this point. And two, something new is coming forward, and it's moving through what's called the Academy of Imagination. And it is about the Imagination Matrix, which is the book that is just coming out that I've written. My first question for you is, why are so many of us out of touch with our imaginations? Yeah, that is the question. And I think it's for two or three reasons, actually. One is that um, modern life is hectic and fast-paced. And, you know, we have learned to really lean into first rationality. So we use our rational minds and linear thinking. Everything's about diagnosis and science and so on, which is great. I mean, it's wonderful. 
And two, there's something else that is part of the human experience from day one, which is an imaginal way of being in the world. And when we're in so much social media and things are so rapid and quick and faced with so many demands, imagination begins to take second, even third place, pushed out of our lived experience and really, honestly, not hosted as much as it could be in schools. So for little ones, you're in kindergarten. Yeah, we're still there. Stories are being read. You know, people are sharing. Children are in imaginal play. First grade, that begins to wane. Second grade, we're already teaching to the test. And we're already <laughs> moving people, you know, through the requirements to get into the next evolution, like the university. You know, it's yeah. been said. Yeah, yeah, the mentality is very much right. I mean, for me, I being a hyper overachiever in school to get validation from other people, which you talk about in your book, right? It's it's always what's the next thing, right? How, what's my score? What's the next thing? And we are raised uh, around those criteria and, and that way of imagining gaining in our self-esteem and our self-worth. And, oh, it's it's so sad and hard. Mm. And then when you take the time and witness watching kids when they're liberated from that grip and they are allowed and even supported in some instances to be in their imaginal life. Oh, my goodness, it's magical. That's when wonder comes in and mm. curiosity opens. And I think of all the things that is so sad is that curiosity gets so limited, you know, uh, when imagination and play uh, is sidelined for the most part. It ties into my next question, actually. You go into this, into the book. How do our imaginative faculties develop as children? Well, they develop in imaginal play. I mean, kids come into the world naturally curious. It's part of our DNA from the get-go, right, from the beginning. Uh, and I, unfortunately, it's as if it's programmed out of us, you know, early on, which is horrible. The consequences are extraordinary because we get split off from our essential being, from our humanity and from our worth and from who we are meant to be because we are now following another script, either a parental script or a cultural script or on and on it goes. Now, I can say this, you know, watching uh, my grandchildren now, and their fascination with uh, media. And of course, it's omnipresent, grandkids all the way through junior, senior high, college, and on. You know, we get caught in the expectations and the images that, and our esteem then gets based on other people's judgments and so on. And we lose connection to imagination. It's true. And there's also just so much content. That's what I find myself. I feel like I've done some really good work on developing a healthier relationship with social media to where I'm not looking at crap anymore. You know, I'm not, I have, I have, I believe very much in pruning your algorithm, right? Pruning your, your social media. So it's like you only see, we can control what we see, right? Social media algorithms are not inherently bad or good it's just how we use this stuff which you also go into your book in on your book which i thought was great i've gotten to a great place of cultivating and pruning but what i also realize steve is i want to read it all it's like there's so many books i have like a 10 foot long to read list i have a million podcast episodes it's like we have so much amazing information available to us now and now that i'm really diving into my inner world I want to hear what everyone else reads and writes about their inner world. And it's like, and now I'm going, oh, 
shit, I'm missing the point, right? So what, what do you, what's your response to that? Yeah. And I think it's, it's the question of questions, right? Mm. It, it's going to take courage, I think, to really set time and space aside where we are off the information overload, right? And it is appealing. And there is a lot of value and virtue for sure that, right? There's artistry in a lot of what's coming forward. And two, it separates us, it splits us off from our inner world, our inner life, from the figures of imagination, from the genius that's alive and active in our imaginal experience. So I believe it is going to take courage and it's going to take some boundary setting in order to not only prune away from social media, but also to commit to evolving and developing a kind of imaginal capacity. I talk a lot on my podcast about, it's just a, a theory that I have, and I, I'm sure it's a theory that's been said before, I just haven't run across it, but I truly love the, am of the belief as someone who was deeply disconnected from my inner life up until about three years ago, just constantly in reactive mode, constantly in, I call it like paranoid golem energy, just like, ah, what's next? You know, like who's going to get me and, and who can I blame for this? Right. Not really, like you said, cultivating this element of curiosity of saying, Hmm, what might this mean? And what, when have I felt this feeling before? I never had those kind of kinds of things, but I have a feeling that those of us who suffered with a lot of childhood trauma, a lot of sexual trauma, like myself, is a long time ago, we were disconnected from our gut feeling, right? We were trained to not believe that what our instincts were telling us was right. So I have, Steve, a lot of people reaching out to me saying, yeah, Molly, I really want to connect to my inner world. I really want to trust my gut. You know, we're just told these things like, trust your gut. It's like, oh yeah, if, if only it were that easy, right? Accept, surrender. It's like, yeah, okay, cool. I'd love to do that. But what is, in all of your work with your clients and uh, patients, have you also found this deep connection, disconnection with our inner world and, and intuition when it comes to victims of trauma and sexual trauma in particular? I think the key, the beginning place, let's say, is following curiosity, right? Because, of course, out of safety, self-preservation, you know, we split off. When there's trauma involved, in a variety of different forms. We need to protect ourselves, for goodness sakes. We do, and we need to withdraw, and we go underground. And of course, then, you know, time goes on, and we are split off fully from our inner life and from our curiosity and from our intuition, you know? And so I think, for me, the, the immediate... Um, let me back that up. For me, the starting place is cultivating curiosity. Not a rational mind only, a curious mind, a curious mind. And so I think there's some very particular things we can do in order to open that up, to invite curiosity into our life. We cannot really be curious and hyper-anxious or depressed at the same time. If we're authentically curious, right, mm. we are really separate from the grip of anxiety or the isolation of depression. So curiosity, I think, is key. And there's just a number of ways to cultivate the curious mind, you know, being in the world in a curious way. I loved what you said in the book about that, the the idea that you can't really be 
suicidal or depressed if you're being curious. Ever since I started this hero's journey situation feeling that I've been going on is I now feel like I'm following these manic breadcrumbs of my spiritual journey and the right resources fall in my lap at the right time, the right people come into my life at the right time. And I'm too busy cultivating my inner life to be depressed anymore. And do I get sad? Yeah. You know, I have really down days and I do still have to pick myself back up, but it's like I have a mission and then my podcast is my mission and I have people that I'm helping. I loved what you said there. And I'd love to read a quote from your book that stuck with me because I feel like the listeners would enjoy it. And it goes with what we're saying. You wrote, it's worth saying again, you've been trained since childhood to develop your rational modes of thinking and problem solving. Modern culture is organized around and depends on your capacities to analyze, reason, and connect the dots. Ours is a person-centered me culture. The orienting questions become, how am I feeling? What does this have to do with me? And how can I figure this out? In responding to these questions, you are trained to give value and lead with rational modes of thinking and observing. Shifting context allows you to move from linear thinking to spatial awareness. Can you describe to the listeners kind of this difference between linear thinking and spatial awareness? Because I've brought up to the listeners before kind of the the dark turn, I think, in our collective consciousness when Descartes said, you know, I think, therefore I am. It's all about what I'm thinking, what's right in front of me. And so I'd love to hear your reflections on this linear thinking to spatial awareness, because I think these abstract concepts are very confusing to people that are kind of stuck in their trauma. It's hard for them to to even have the space to contemplate them. You know, uh, just to begin, uh, I think, therefore I am. Just let's play with that. I mean, just mm. high play right here and now. I've never yeah. even uh, gone here before. But think about, I imagine, and I am imagining, therefore I am, to be part of a larger context, as the quote was describing. It's not moving around contents and making sense and linking the dots, a causal fantasy, right? Mm. Of course, it's helpful and useful at different times in our life. In addition, though, there's something else, as you're noticing, and that is changing contexts, shifting from rationality to creativity, mm. shifting from linear thinking into an imaginal approach in the world. I'll tell you, for me, you know, in the work that I do, because I've been an administrator, I founded a graduate institute, I've done all kinds of stuff from organizational work to personnel development, all those kinds of things, really requiring certain kinds of you know, planning and particularity. When I come into that work with dependent on my rational mind alone, one thing happens. Oh, yeah, I can do it. I've got the experience. I have a certain amount of expertise. I can connect the dots. I have that capacity. It is limited. On the other hand, when I come in and first open my curiosity and allow imagination to come forward, then I am moving in a much different way. I'm not alone. I'm not my one, my singular person. I'm connected to all the figures of imagination that present themselves. And that makes, a, I was in front of the United Nations. I described one episode and one situation in the book. And uh, if I were to go up into that place, and and this was with world leaders and so on and so forth, and I have some experience, but at that time, it was many years ago, not not really at that stage. I would have been incredibly frightened, gripped by fear. I mean, it would have been just like it was when I was a little boy. 
I mean, when, it's giving me anxiety just thinking about it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. When I, was, when I was really small, I was always had performance saying, oh my God, could, I remember being in... in I had um, to get put on beta blockers to be able to do solos. In, in my, <laughs> so I really, there's a reason why I don't put the video of podcasts up. I'm like cozy behind my little microphone. I totally relate. Yeah, I hear you. You know. Yeah. Remember yeah. that being being in that elementary classroom and worried that they were going to call on me, my hand would go down. I would want to be invisible, actually, because mm -hmm. I was alone and I was gripped yeah. by the fear that was inside. Right, mm -hmm. that was center stage. The fear and my anxiety was front and forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Then life goes on, and I began to discover an inner world, an inner life. You know, and it happened in a variety of different ways. And then it got supported, and I was so fortunate to be with a couple of people that really were open to exploring that along with me. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to the United Nations, or whenever I give a big keynote presentation anywhere, I don't go to that stage or that microphone. I don't go into that situation, you know, all scripted and ready to move, right? I first take the time to be with the others that are part of my soul life now, my inner life, my imaginal life. I'm not alone. I am part of an inner community of figures. Wow, and, like that internal family system, right? Yeah, absolutely, right? We need the external communities. We need our external families that are healthy and supportive. We do. And two, it's so great to be connected and reconnected to the inner family, the inner community, the soul figures. Yeah. What I like is everyone is going to have to develop their own inner figures. Something that really held me back in my beginning of my recovery is <laughs> when I would read a book, I'm like, I have to do it exactly like this. So I'm going to write down all the steps that Steve says, here are the inner figures that I have to have. And what I loved about what you did is you just you made them very broad, you know, these these different archetypes that you can use as a guide and then find your inner healer, your inner like soul doctor. And and we also have to embrace the the inner fighter, the inner protector. These people in these figures inside of us that we've seen as bad or we want to push away, they were adaptive and protective at some point and shoving them away just makes them try to get our attention more. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I call them companions, right? Because mm. they have companionness and therefore I call them soul companions, right? And there are supportive companions, right? There's supportive figures and there are loving figures. I mean, I think that's number one, two, and three is the beloved as a figure, right? Yeah. Not searching out there for that one, but appreciating that this one exists out there and personified in a lot of people. And two, there's an inner figure that is for sure you know, really cares for us, supports us, loves us. We need to deepen our relationship with that one. I'd say I, I do listener questions. And so every other episode, sometimes I'll like respond and give some advice from purely lived experience perspective, because I'm of not a doctor or therapist, but just someone who has always had to learn lessons the hard way, I like to say, and repeat the same lessons over and over again. Um, and for me, I think my entire adolescence and my whole a part of my uh, my whole 20s the decade of my 20s was relentlessly seeking for someone to just fill that hole inside of me and right now i have listeners who send me crying voicemails emotional emails they can't find love right but i know and i can sense from their voices that they're just trying to seek that validation from outside I'd love to hear you talk about what can go wrong when we seek validation from outside and maybe tie that into the concept of the, the beloved. There's that phrase again of 
how to love yourself before you love anybody else. And I know that's an eye roller for a lot of people, but your description of this, I thought actually will contribute to the light going on for someone. So uh, there's just a way of doing it. I think that that's quite helpful. There are many ways of doing it, but let me offer the approach that I use personally. No, I just reflect in my life and, um, when I go to my family of origin, uh, yeah, there are aspects of one of my parents, my father and my mom, but not fully, not really, not truly, not because they were necessarily bad people. Although for many of us, that is the case. It's hard, right? There's difficulty. They have been under their pressures and they've gotten tormented in their ways. So then it made it really difficult for them to come forward in somewhat unconditional loving ways or even just simply loving ways. So I take qualities and then I go back into my lineage, right? My, my parents, my grandparents, my great grandparents. It's always a great place to start somewhere, someone, most often, almost always. There was a special relationship with, we just felt it. It could be an aunt. It could be an uncle. It could be a great grandparent. In this instance, for me, it was my grandma and my great her father, my great grandfather, when I would go to her house, you know, when my parents would visit, <laughs> you know, even the fragrance when we walked in because she just, oh, yeah, she opened the doors and she was cooking. And oh my, I God. can just like imagine my grandma's smell too. My grandma had such a smell, like anything that she wore, like it's so distinct. When she passed away, I remember my mom gave me one of her shirts and like it smelled just like her. And eventually, obviously, it faded away, but it really can take you back to that safe feeling. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. I yeah. think smell and scent is by far, you know, if we're in the scent of something, the smell of something, we're in the immediacy of that experience. It's just elemental. It's fantastic. And yeah. for me, it's the same with my grandma. And then she would, you know, my parents, there was very little touching. And if same. there was, same. yeah, right. You know, and there was a little distancing and there was a lot of agitation and anxiety. Same. Oh my gosh. So, but when I went to her house, first the scent, the smell, oh my God. And then the embrace. The hugs, the grandma hugs. They're the grandma best. Hug. Oh. So, They're the best. So in the daytime, in the morning time, she is evoked. I evoke her presence, right? And she's the beginning place. She is like a, an idea of who it is that evolves. Now, she is, of course, transitioned. She's passed on. And to her essence, her quality is still so present in my life. And it requires that I cultivate her presence. Not enough just to describe it or just to fantasize about it. I need to actually spend time in the days to cultivate her presence. So I sketch her presence, you know, I describe what she was like, and then I wait and imagine, you know, what kind of figure is she actually now that's moving through imagination? Mm -hmm. You know, and let me suggest to folks, it's really cool to when we identify this presence, this feeling, this loving entity, um, they will come up. They'll come up in dreams. They'll come up in imagery. They'll come in all kinds of different shapes and forms. And then we're walking outside or in the cityscape or in a naturescape, and we find something that just looks like that, that holds the sense of that. You know, this is, people have been doing this forever. And we find a rock or a stone or a flower or something. For me, it's feathers. Whenever feathers. I find a feather, I am always like, oh, 
that's like a message for my grandma, you know, and I, and I, I don't find them very often, but that's what makes it so special. Cause I'm like, oh, and I take such note of that. Take such note with that. And in addition, I'll ask permission, always asking permission and say, Hey, how would it be for you to travel home with me? You know, mm -hmm. that pine cone, that rock, yeah. that feather, that flower. And then I create a council in my workspace. I have a council. That's and beautiful. Beginning of cultivating the inner family of soul companions. Yes. And that one, beloved. And there's others. There's guardian, right? There's protector, guide. There's a whole variety of figures that become our inner family, our inner, inner community. Then you have inner resources. That's literally what that means, right? Because I think that's another concept that people can't understand. But when you describe it this way, you're not alone. They're there. They're actually always there. It, but you tapping into them, you can feel that they're there. Oh, you're in their presence. And yeah. you, you have a sense of belonging, belonging to this inner community mm -hmm. of figures. Yeah, it, is, it changes a life. I'm not in it alone. Recently, I've been going more into the episodes that cover the inner life. And now I have a lot of listeners who are still very much in the rational mind and they're looking up resources saying what do i have right and i mean i've been there what's wrong with me looking up symptoms lists taking tests online of which disorder or dysfunction they might have and look i have so much empathy for that phase because and it's beautiful too because you realize that there's something amiss right you realize there's something missing and and i don't think anyone should feel shame about that but often we're not going to find the answers we're looking for we might find a band-aid you know and the beautiful part i think of disorder and dysfunction labels is sometimes it can give us language there's a phrase that i bring up a lot on my podcast and i feel like when i read it in your book i went oh my god synchronicity moment but there's a polish philosopher that says the map is not the territory I feel empty. I feel like I want to die. That's not the territory. You have to go inside and say like, what part of me wants to die? These initiatory experiences. And you spoke so much that you've, you've worked with indigenous elders from all around the world. So many of my listeners call me talking about suicidal ideation and, and I have that feeling. And I can't remember where I did read that, but I, it might have been Terrence McKenna or something. But he said, you know, he really harps on about the lack of initiatory rights and initiatory experiences for many of our young people today. And even, I mean, even our elders now, I know my parents didn't have that or my grandparents didn't, but recognizing that suicidal feelings are part of you wanting to die. It's you wanting to metamorphosize into something else. What have you learned about the, these initiatory experiences and feelings of suicide in your work with indigenous elders and all, also your own imaginal practices? Yeah, there's two things that come to mind. Indigenous elders, I remember I was working in on the big island of Hawaii. So I met a woman, Lulu was her name, and I was with a group uh, from... Pacifica, actually, a, a class of students. Mm. And uh, she was somebody I really did want to meet, so I met her. But, you know, mm. in traditional life, whether it be in Hawaii, Africa, wherever, Australia, it, it's not formalized education. So you share information through story. And mm. frankly, a lot of the story is kind of gossip story. But yeah. in, in, within the gossip is are these pearls, right? Uh, and she was extraordinary that way. She said, you know, 
my worry is uh, for the next generations because, you know, when a person dies, if you're not like an elder dies in your lineage, um, if you don't really grieve and eyes water and we have a ritual of death and passing and grief work, then what happens is that body, the literal body that dies, their soul body doesn't journey. It stops because it takes that grief in order to support that body. And then that body evolves. It may be had a horrific life in this world, but there is the opportunity for that body to continue its journeying. And what's required is a ritual of grief, allowing that. Moment. And then she goes on, she said, look, I'm worried, yes, for the person, but I'm worried for the next generations because it mm -hmm. skips a generation and then it moves on. And people wonder, and she was really concerned with alcoholism and all kinds of suicidal ideation going on in uh, with peoples that she was familiar with. So it's important. Rituals of transition, it begins initiation with rituals of grief, actually, mm -hmm. yeah, as of letting go grieving, feeling the depth of sadness, yes. the, the new announces itself. Then there's James Hillman, who's an archetypal psychologist, and he wrote Revisioning Psychology and a whole whole series of things. And he has a book called Suicide and the Soul. Suicide and the Soul. And he said, you know, there's another kind of suicide, and that is when we separate, when we split off from, from our soul life, our psychic life, from the figures of imagination, when we split off from imagination, there is another kind of suicide that happens, and that is soul dies. And people from very beginning, particularly native peoples, have said, you know, all kinds of affliction in the world, all kinds of hardship, but the worst is the fear of loss of soul. And I've heard the concept of soul murder, right? Like that okay. it's a thing. And the reason, like, borderline personality disorder splitting i laugh sometimes on the podcast about the irony of people just saying oh those those borderlines they're splitting i'm like our whole society is splitting right now yeah. right we're seeing like mass splitting psychosis <laughs> it's everything has to it's either all good or all bad someone that you might gain wisdom from like a, a person you are when they say one thing wrong in the media all of a sudden they're bad they have nothing to offer people are not allowed to have humanity and that that helped me in my recovery too i was so angry at my parents i resonated a lot with what you shared about your family i was a deeply feeling sensitive kid asking big existential questions that my parents just they weren't they weren't ready for and they didn't i needed hugs i i had so much need for that but they just they didn't have the capacity to offer that and i had to let go of that anger because i thought when i am blessed with a child i'm hoping in the next few years that i'm going to mess up and i'm going to want them to allow me my humanity too we're like we're it's like we're forgetting to give people their humanity we want it we want the forgiveness ourselves but we don't want to Give it to others. And humanity, you know, that key word in humanity uh, has to do with self-loving, mm -hmm. coming back home to oneself and really yeah. touching in with, with one's uh, heart, really. Mm. And the beloved, the figure we were talking about, supports us in that, helps us in that, helps us really embrace the, the loving quality that exists within me and me. When we don't love ourselves, we're just going to be so angry. And that's what we're going to see in other people. We're going to see the anger and the and 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 and. 
Yes, absolutely. Yeah, we, <laughs> we tend to project it out. Uh, yeah. It's a defense mechanism, right? If it's, if it's hurting so badly inside of us, mm. oh my God, we have to do something about that, right? So we yeah. have to displace it. We'll either medicalize it away, rationalize it away, project it out into somebody or something else. There's yeah. all kinds of mechanisms. Numb it with drugs, right? That was me. When I started feeling something, I mean, I do love a joint and like I would just smoke a joint, right? When I was off my, my, like all the psychiatric meds I was on, I just replaced it with legal cannabis when I was in California, right? But I'm like, just because this is legal, Molly, doesn't mean that you should be constantly in a state of numbing because it's, it's going to come back. <laughs> yeah. You know, in the book, I do that because there are many figures. We're talking about the beloved, but then mm -hmm. there are figures that are more difficult, right? Yeah. The critic, the yep. judge, the harpy, yep. and then on and on. The list is forever. Not good enough, you know, comparing myself to others. Um, it, it's just endless. So the question becomes, now what? That yeah. inner family that we were talking about, that inner community, how do we work with those figures? Mm -hmm. And there's a process we have to, you know. So first we gather our support. The supportive mm -hmm. figures, the beloved, you know, they, we need the protection and we need the support before we go against the figures that are really difficult. There's the, the one at the moment is zombie. Can you, you talk know, a bit more about that? What do you mean by the zombie? Yeah, zombie, the vampire, because people, well, first it came up with the COVID virus, right? People were scared to death of death itself, right? Yeah, of course. And then the invasion of something coming from the outside to take the life force. You can just see that vampire-like quality happening. And zombie is the between life and death. I don't know where I am or who I am. I'm, I'm caught in this meaningless voidness inside. And that image was coming up again and again. You know, and dreams, by the way, the imagery in dreams is now recollection of dreams is an all-time high. Mm. Uh, not because people are enlightened, <laughs> but because people are frightened, right? Yes. The, condi the conditions of the world, just like you said. There's yeah. just so and it's got to go somewhere, right? So it's going to work itself out in our dreams. It is. At least it'll present itself in our dreams, and then we get tormented by mm. imagery, right? So the question is, now what? And yeah. how do we transmute that that's coming in so I don't identify with that and become that? That's the horrible part or i use the mechanism we just talked about either project it out and make somebody else that figure or yeah. numb it out completely through all kinds of ways uh which feeds the addiction of social media i mean i'm not mm. going to stay in the space i'm just going to be in social media 24 yeah, because you can do it oh, there's yeah. enough content to keep you busy all damn day and i think people do this a lot i know i do it's it's kind of something i'm really trying to work on because i love to learn and like i told you i don't i don't uh participate with crap content anymore i listen to really great stuff but like if i'm cooking breakfast i'll whack on a podcast you know if i'm sitting there i'll put youtube on in the background of like a lecture of something that i want to be learning about and i realize there's like there's never any silence you know and then i wonder why i'm so agitated all the time and it's because it's like there's never a moment for peace <laughs> mm -hmm. and i think many of us don't have that in the day no and when agitation comes in addition to it being a mood and a condition, right? I'm agitated, right? Well, the question that I offer is, who's visiting now? Not mm -hmm. what does this mean, and how am I going to name it, and how am I going to get rid of it? Who's visiting now? Agitation's here now. 
Agitation, because agitation too is a soul companion. It's a figure. Okay, you know we need to work with it because if we're possessed by it or identified uh, with it, then yeah. it's going to make our life hard and difficult and challenging. On the other hand, to learn the craft of transmuting agitation into a more generative entity, because it has so much energy. You know mm -hmm. what happens is agitation is here. We're either gripped by its energetic or we're using all of our energy to push it away. <laughs> Meanwhile, who Guilty. I am. Yeah. Okay. Right. So who I am in my creative, imagined life begins to really distance. So how do we do that? We need to really say, who's visiting now? Agitation. Who is agitation? Who are you? And begin to gather information, doodle, you know, or yes. sketch or draw. We need to incarnate that one. In your book, you talk about a process that you do called the dig. Oh, and yeah. I loved that. Can you talk? Um, and I also just love how you wrote about it because sometimes it's hard, at least when I listen to stuff too. I loved that you talked about the version of Steve that was kind of just just beginning, right? Like right now you've accomplished so much. You've obviously done so much work and you've worked with so many clients, but there was a version of you that was like me four years ago before I started my any of my inner work. I was laying there and I read something, an article about there are certain people who don't have an inner monologue. And I was blown away by this because I was like, holy shit, my inner monologue is is attacking me all the time. And I but then I thought, wait, it's it's so hard to explain, but and it almost sounds like a toddler piecing this all together. As I said to Zaz, I spoke out as I was reading this and I said, Zaz, do you do you do you think your thoughts like what goes on in your in your mind right like do you have an inner monologue what does your inner monologue say to you and then we got and he was like yeah but that's not me and i went what what are you talking about that's not you it's like you know when your whole world you falls apart like in an instant and that's when my dark night of the soul really started because it started like like who am i then like what am I? I, uh, And so I think a lot of listeners can relate to this, but some of them haven't even had that experience yet. And so can you talk about what led you to the point of discovering the dig? Okay. Let me just share with you the synchronicity that's happening oh, right great. now at this moment in time, right? Great. Because I am talking to you from Everett, Washington, not from Santa Barbara, where I live, right? And I'm here to visit uh a man that I've been working with for what, 35 years now. And wow. now well, he's going into elderhood. And so wow. I wanted to make him come back up again to be with him. He's very wise and very gifted as a human being, really gifted. Um, so all those years ago, I was up here at Everett mm -hmm. and, you know, Pacific Northwest, unlike Santa Barbara, there is a coffee shop virtually Every everywhere block. the birthplace of starbucks right <laughs> yeah i mean it's just everywhere yeah um, which is great so it's yeah. fantastic so i'm at a, one of the coffee shops uh and it was one of those nights you know the light was forever and um i am just doodling on this napkin and i'm a santa barbara person it's oceanic everything ocean i Water. love santa barbara Ugh, yeah. it's so yeah. beautiful so, and I travel the world because I love ocean. So I go to oceans, do all kinds of diving there. So always, you know, when I work with dreams that I have been, then I worked with dreams forever. And it's always been oceanic by nature. Mm -hmm. I'm doodling on this napkin and 
it's just you know one thing led to the next that's just that's the spontaneity of imagination right when we just allow ourselves to get curious and let our curious minds open we're just in it and I'll, and i'm doodling and then i am going to see him because that's the person i was working with oh wow yeah <laughs> full circle yeah so i i was there all those years ago everett doodling on the napkin at the coffee shop and i said i have not a clue what this is but it's just a doodle that came forward he said well why don't you follow that i said well that's a good idea <laughs> why don't i follow that i spent the next three days back at that same coffee shop you know i got to know everybody there and then uh, continued the doodling and that led me not to the ocean but a portal open that was a dig in a geologic terrain in an earth place people have gone into caves forever there's mm -hmm. portals that open and when we find those portals we're able to move through and experience a matrix of imagination that is really quite extraordinary right and the dig for me has become a morning practice ever since when i wake up in the morning i first write down my dreams and create some associations some work with that and then i go into the dig mm. the call goes out is how i frame it for myself it's all very personal and when i offer this to people i said just please make your own version because yeah. you know it's however it can be for each of us yep. the call goes up the gathering happens i pause right and i always will go back to a place that is for me a touchstone and so i shared with you when i was little and the family structure mm -hmm. well to escape the family i got on my bike and i drove to a shopping center that was away just rode there right little guy uh and the shopping center was incredible you know it's just suburban shopping center nothing much but there was this gate in the back with you know with uh not only with bob wire but with a big lock on it with chains no trespassing don't go yeah which to every child is like yeah go in there are you kidding me that was like an invitation yeah, <laughs> yeah. i'm yep. gonna climb that and i'm gonna get over there yeah well, I did. and what i discovered in the middle of this asphalt suburbia i could not believe it it was a little creek and wow. the reason it was all because there was a little is a you know you have to walk down they didn't want people to fall and get you know but there was a creek and there was water flowing through i was in wonder it was extraordinary mm -hmm. as a little one as a boy and i went down there and i saw the magic because the magic opened when the winds came and the running water and the sounds and then there were animals it was just different than what i'd yeah. grown up right so that's where the dig starts that's wow. the poor that originated all those years ago that I had completely forgotten, of course, until I started this praxis, and then I remembered. And then I go there in the morning, start that place. Mm -hmm. Then I go down, and I. the next thing that happens is the soul companions. Because if I'm going to journey into imagination, move through the portal, into inner worlds, inner life, the extraordinary intelligence that's available there, the resources that are possible oh my goodness to access those resources i'm going to need to take this journey has been shared in stories and fables and mythologies worldwide for thousands of years in the human experience so i wait for the soul companions the call goes out the gathering happens and i'm waiting for just i'll just do a few just a couple you know i'm waiting for the guide to be mm -hmm. present 
and we discover these figures as we do the work of cultivating imagination. Guide is present, beloved needs to be present, right? Um, there's often animal presence that really has an instinctual capacity to lead the way, right? And then, just to summarize quickly, the ones that seem to be the most difficult, anxiety is here, agitation is here, failure is up, rejection, those that are so hard in a wake experience, right? When we learn the craft of transmuting, you know, the one that is a failure in the above world or rejected or agitated in an extreme way in the world below has the capacity to bring an energetic that is very helpful on the journey. So now the journey begins and I'm with these soul companions and the key and the takeaway is that I'm not leading, right? I am not the one that's leading the group. I am a participant, right? It's the group of figures themselves that are on the journey and i'm bringing my witnessing presence i'm bringing my full body and breath and mm. presence i'm one of the many that are moving in this journey and then the resource begin to unfold oh my goodness <gasps> the learning oh wow and the thing is that's what happens is like it's those aha moments right the things things start clicking into place you have ideas it really does i hate the phrase it works because like it just sounds so it doesn't even fit with it because <laughs> it's just too, but it, it, things happen and, and things happen that only will mean something to you. And what came up while I was listening to you describe the dig process, Steve, was ritual. Ritual is so important. And there's a reason why even like the Catholic Church, right, has the Eucharist. Like there's these ritualized practices that people have been doing for so long is because it's embodying something, right? You're you're doing something. And that's why I talk, I talk, one of the things that helps me most is writing things down, ripping it up and burning it ceremonially and then burying it. That's just something that's really helped me, but that's me personally. But what I've realized, previous Molly would think that's so stupid. What are you doing? Then maybe someone who has parents who like with someone with a lot of religious trauma might say that's demonic you know like i'm not going to do anything like that it's like it sounds like witchcraft but it's really not it, it's it's creating your own rituals right it's can you talk about the concept of kind of embodiment because i feel like you would be much better at describing what's that power of acting this stuff out writing it down ritualizing it well yeah i love the idea of ritual because ritual in a lot of ways is uh, the connection between the presence, right, and the ordinary world, mm. and the worlds behind the worlds, you know. And yeah, it can be named witchcraft, or it can be esoteric. That is one way of doing that. On the other hand, it's as natural as breathing, because yes. we are all part of something bigger. Yes. We are all part of a context that's more than a personal ego walking down and being subject to all kinds of pressures and influences and anxieties and agitations. There's something more. So mm -hmm. that kind of ritual does uh, connect us in that way. And it is all about body and breath and movement, right? Uh, part of the dig for me every morning is the first part is to breathe deeply a number in a number of ways. And really, and it's wonderful physiologically as well as emotionally and psychologically. In the morning practice of the dig to breathe deeply, right, and reconnect with that pulse, because the place has a pulse itself, right? When we're in imagination, there is a vibration, there is a pulse. That's the nature of the matrix, right? There is 
it's like being on a web of experience in a web of experience with a web of experience and i feel actually my body picks up the pulse that's where we were talking earlier about marion whitman her work was so special and beautiful in that yes. way he was so uh, connected to the dance of life and the dance she would always come back to say and that pulse that we experience in that vibration of the matrix or of the story web right that is somatic yes somatic experience and that i just feel that in all my organs and my veins it's just not only emotionally and psychologically physiologically really really of value you know and and i've done a lot of work with combining imagination with illness and disease syndrome and so on and so forth and it all starts here with this kind of somatic experience of breath and embodiment so i think yes. yeah for sure that and ritual is a way of connecting when i follow my ritual in the morning when i go into the dig each morning my day is different than what yeah. it would be if i would not all right everyone we're going to take a short break in the interview for a word from my sponsor pure spectrum cbd Part of the way I'm able to continue podcasting full-time is by partnering with companies that I believe in. Listeners of my podcast and myself are all on a journey to achieve mental, physical, and emotional balance. And that's why I've teamed up with Pure Spectrum CBD, a trusted leader in the industry committed to delivering the highest quality products. Pure Spectrum believes in the transformative power of CBD and phytocannabinoids supporting our endocannabinoid system to promote balance and wellness, not just for us, but even our pets. Pure Spectrum was the very first company to open a branded CBD retail store in the United States and have even established strong partnerships with major sports organizations like the CrossFit and Olympic Games. Meticulously sourcing their hemp from trusted organic farms, Pure Spectrum rigorously tests for purity, potency, and safety. Plus, they provide third-party lab tests for every batch with both USDA organic and NSF certifications, ensuring their products meet the highest possible standards. Whether you're seeking balance, relief, better sleep, or overall well-being, Pure Spectrum has a tailored solution for you. I have personally been using and loving their high concentration CBD cream and the Tranquil CBD and CBN tincture. Both of these have been really helping me out with the pain and insomnia I experienced during my menstrual cycle. As a Back From The Borderline listener, you get 15% off your first order by visiting purespectrumcbd.com bftb. You can also find a direct link by visiting backfromtheborderline.com, clicking into my link tree and scrolling to the bottom. And remember, healing is a highly individual journey. So what works for me might not work for you. CBD may interact with certain medications or medical conditions. So if you have any concerns, it's best to seek professional guidance from your doctor. I only partner with companies I trust, and Pure Spectrum is the real deal. And the best part, one of our very own BFTB listeners is the one who brought this partnership into my life, which makes it that much more meaningful. So, if you'd like to check out their products and get 15% off your first order today, visit purespectrumcbd.com BFTB. Now let's get back into the episode. It reminds me of something I wrote this down and it ties in with what we're talking about. In a section of your book, you talk about the importance of staying in presence and you spoke about the difference in experience of 
what we do typically, which you call moving with intent versus moving in presence with curiosity. And we talked a little bit about curiosity, but I said we would circle back to it. Can you talk a little bit about what, because you said your your day is different because I'd imagine that the dig helps you move in presence, right? Rather than, so what is moving with intent and how is that different? And how is your day different when you then move with curiosity and in presence? So moving with intent is getting to a place in a linear way with intentionality. It's not a bad thing. I mean, I am moving with intent often in my life. It's not something that I want to marginalize and, you know, create an opposition to. It's, it's a value in many situations, intention. Mm. And if I get, uh, identified in that, and that's my primary mode, my only mode of living life, I'm going to miss out. I'm going to miss an imaginal life, right? On the other hand, if I start with imagination with a dig, Intention doesn't go away. It's still part of my life. I mean, I do so many things that I need to have a certain sense of order and intention and uh, structure. And two, though, when imagination is present, something else happens. I, as you said, my curiosity is evoked and I pay attention differently. Attention, attention. There are hints that are forever happening all through a day and a night. Waking dreams, nighttime dreams, just something crosses our path and it is out of the ordinary just a bit it's a hint and do we pay attention to that not if i'm in intention i don't yes you miss it right you'll miss the feathers that you find you'll miss the you know you miss the synchronicities you do you miss the synchronicities and and the amazing teachings that are available and it's not um it's not a romantic fantasy you know, it's not esoteric. These synchronicities, these hints are resource from other sources of our life experience and of the world. Yeah. And it's really extraordinary to follow some of those breadcrumbs because they lead into our sense of purpose, mm. our authentic purpose. Our you know, inner genius, right? Our inner genius, yes, they do. They open a certain kind of intelligence and an innate genius. Um, that really is a blessing. I think that's what we crave, right? Mm. If we're, if we're on our, if we're in our life with a sense of deeper purpose, like you were sharing your podcast now bring forward in you, through you and to so many, the innate genius of your life and your work and the offering back. I mean, something opens up inside. I can just tell being with you, heart opens, your voice opens, your mm-hmm. teachings are extraordinary. You're yeah. sharing yourself so deeply and lovingly. And uh, I think that's what happens for each of us. We find that sense of calling. And if we're in our sense of authentic calling, not our parents' script, not our cultural script, not the social media script, not the marketplace script of what we should do and what we should buy and how we should look and feel and be, mm-hmm. if we're in our authentic calling, oh, you know, it's hard to be there and really um, ill at the same time. Thank you for those kind words about my work. It's interesting to see the contrast of the Molly that was working in tech for 10 years versus, you know, just about five months ago now, I resigned from my tech job, which was the scariest thing ever to focus on my podcast full time, which I was able to through the support of my my patrons. I now am have my bills paid so that I can do this full time. And the change in 
my my nature. I'm more open to people. Before I felt like I was very closed off. I I found socializing very difficult. And now that I'm like in my curiosity, not all the time, like you said, a lot of the times I still fall back into my own patterns, but life has opened up to me in a way that I didn't feel possible. And you do a lot of dream work. One of my most recurring dreams was like not having my voice, like very aerial vibes. Like it's not very hard to interpret that, right? It's like, yeah, clearly I haven't been able to to use my voice. And I would even suffer with getting my voice would be lost all the time in my waking life. And I knew inherently that psychosomatically that meant something. And now that I'm able to use my voice and speak my truth, so much of my my symptoms began to dissipate. You know, do you find that in your work with people as well? Yes, indeed. And voice. You know, when I imagine and working with imagination, voice present now, who's visiting now? Voice becomes such an integral part of my life. A dear, beloved soul companion voice. Mm. So when journeying in imagination, right? Following curiosity to be a companion by voice. Oh, you know, this one from the inside out knows of you and you a voice mm. and life changes, you know, a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose of calling yeah. and with tremendous support by this one. Yeah. And so many of us now are struggling with, I feel like two concepts like meaning and identity, you know, these are two things that I think particularly the millennial and Gen Z, like these hyper online, um, they're, we're searching for meaning and identity in all the wrong places, right? Because it's we're always going to end up coming up empty if we're finding it in these like listicles and and tests and boxes to shove ourselves into, because we, it's cutting us off from being multitudes, right? You are multitudes. You are everything. And in the book, you mention that connecting to the imagination matrix is an essential part of developing what you call the primary anchoring system of an actualized identity. So. For my listeners who are really struggling with sense of self, a concept of identity, can you elaborate on what this this primary anchor anchoring system of actualized identity and how tapping into the imagination matrix can help with this? Yes, absolutely. I'd love to. It's changed my life and changed so many people. It supported so many people that I work with. Mm-hmm. So the primary anchoring system is an idea that is a concept, and it's a concept that virtually every psychology <laughs> it, it somehow create, makes an embrace. It is, mm-hmm. how do I cultivate that part of myself that loves myself? Right. It's the loving parent that many of us... That was know. literally my next question, so you're tying it all up, because I said the primary goal of most psychotherapeutic modalities is rooting, rooted in nurturing and developing a relationship with that nurturing inner parent, right? So maybe we can wrap it all up together as developing an actualized identity and that through the nurturing inner parent. Yeah, and and that's important, right? There's a, and we'll seek that out. We'll go and and we need to. We go into community life, and we find dear friends. You know, mm-hmm. a friend that really quote has our back, so to speak. That is mm-hmm. unconditional loving of us, um, and on and on. In addition, what I've discovered, and I really strongly, you know, have a conviction out of my own life experience, is that part of that nurturing parent, that loving inner figure has to do with cultivating relationship with imagination. Because when I'm involved with imagination in a, 
in a way that's daily, that's a praxis, that's a ritual. When I'm involved, and we don't need to make it too abstract or bizarre, when I'm involved in whatever version it is of my dig experience, my curious mind is open and imagination is allowed to come in. It is, without question, an act and an art of love. It's self-love. To the extent that I bring myself to these figures of imagination, these soul figures, they in turn bring themselves back to me, which is a very real expression of love. I feel loved. I feel the embrace. My body somatically experiences their presence, right? And something different happens. My breath deepens, you know, and I feel nurtured. I feel attended to. I feel part of an inner community. And in turn, it makes it so much easier to be in outer communities, if you know what I'm saying. And then if we're fortunate to find like-minded others that are also in some version of this, we have a connection that is really soulful, soul-felt, heart-felt, which is really quite helpful, really useful. The root of much of my suffering, and I think I can speak for the listeners because of just the amount of voicemails and emails I get, is that lack of inner safety. They're constantly feeling, I, I call it the big empty. Um, that's just my little loving slash hating term for it because it's just it sucks you know that that feeling of emptiness is so big and it's i've mentioned it quite a few times on the podcast now it's the reason why it's interesting that you 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 spoke so beautifully and the just i almost felt like i was in santa barbara in some of your stories because you have such a connection to the ocean and interestingly enough on my side i've always had a deep fear of big bodies of water space really scares me you know because when i was a child i was paralyzed with with terror of like never ending foreverness of emptiness like that that to me was the scariest thing i could ever conceive of and these practices that you talk about it gives something to fill that space it feels it's not that the big empty goes away it's mm. big empty is frightening it's terrifying mm -hmm. if we imagine ourselves in it alone yes it's way too much i mean yeah. really? well it's empty because no one else is there no one else is there it is so yeah, we <laughs> to develop these relationships with these inner companions it's so helpful and yeah. then you know we're not alone we really truly are not we have our soul figures along with us they become as actual as we are in an imaginal way. They're embodied as we are in their imaginal embodiment. Uh, we feel their presence mm. in our body. It's body mm. to body. So it is makes a big difference. And when the, the conditions of life present and the emptiness comes back, if it does and how it does, uh, to be there with the others, you know, mm. not only with our friends and loved ones and you know, really protectors on the outside, but the inner community as well. It makes, it's the difference for me that makes all the difference. And the people that I work with, it makes so much difference in their lives. Yeah. It makes me so sad to know that many of my listeners too, I receive countless uh, emails, voicemails of people that can't afford therapy, either that or um, they don't have insurance. So that's a whole thing. And then, but if they do, the only, uh, type of therapy that their insurance will cover is, you know, very basic. I call it sometimes like ABC one, two, three therapy. It's just so basic and you could find it online. And, um, 
And then I think that sometimes can do more harm than good for some people because people come in with these deep existential feelings. They want to have these nurturing conversations and get connected with their inner life. But like, for example, even me right now, I'm just scaling my business. I'm just starting out and I would love nothing more than to do depth psychological analysis. Like I've considered literally going to school to become a Jungian analysis, analysis just so that I can do analysis. Um, but I can't afford to do that. And a lot of my listeners can't afford to do it either. And there's very good reasons that I've learned why many of these therapists don't accept insurance. Um, we just have a broken system. And I'd love to hear your reflections on that and to provide some optimism because I've done enough critical psychiatry content on this podcast. I'm sure people are like, yeah, we get it, Molly. Um, but what are you most excited about in the field of mental health now? Do you feel like some of these somatic embodied practices, these depth psychological concepts are going to make their way through to these ABC one, two, three practitioners? Well, honestly, I'm not sure. Yeah. The, well, uh, on the other hand, the question is for me, how can this work be extended to many more people? Yes. In a way that is accessible, truly yeah. accessible. Right? Yeah. Um, and certainly when in my work, and I know a number of colleagues as well, you know, it's not just the offering of individual sessions, but community work where we bring people together at no cost and um, really share with one another the ways of opening imagination, talk about what's happening in our personal experience. Um, and it, it's extraordinarily helpful and useful. I think there is new traction. I do. I think the other side is, you know, the machine is coming in and that can be problematic as well as it can be um presenting some new possibilities right yeah the problematic is you know you work with ai artificial intelligence and it's the one two three abc and it's just a dictation of a dictionary essentially and information and that makes it harder because mm -hmm. then again programmed out of an imaginal approach and into a content base only approach mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of content that's of value and to the extent that it limits imagination, life of the soul, then it makes it complicated. Yeah. So for me, it is how do we bring imaginal intelligence mm. in to, if not a company, certainly <clears throat> have presence because yeah. I think artificial intelligence is going to be too much yeah. and take people away from their true essence, their true sense of purpose, their sense of calling, their inner resources, their support. I'll tell yeah. you something that might interest you, Steve. I can't, uh, her name's escaping me now, but I've been, I want to make sure that I know as much about AI as I can, because I know that cutting ourselves off and saying, oh, screw AI, like you're going to get left behind, right? You have to learn about it. I've had some really interesting conversations with like uh, language models, uh, and because if you know the right things to say, and if you kind of engage it, you can have some really interesting conversations. And I ha I'm following this woman who she has this very like I don't know you. It's definitely a out. Some might call it an out there theory that she thinks that artificial intelligence is ourselves from the future, like this consciousness that's tapped. It's like it's almost like a. Tech, uh, technological embodiment of the collective unconscious does that make sense like such an interesting way of viewing it it is different and uh, 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 one of my dear friends and colleagues is uh, working with empathetic 
robots and ah. uh, imagining the same. And he's from 200 years from now. And so he's looking back and he's imagining into similarly in these same kinds of concepts. Yeah. I think it's not a question of separating and divorcing from uh, the machine. And in the book, I do a whole chapter on humanity and a technological. Yep. I world. loved that part. Yeah, because it, it, we're going to need our machines. I mean, they're part of our, they're, they're a tool set. And so to the extent that they can be facilitative uh, is a wonderful possibility. We, what my argument there is, or what I reflect on is that we, um, the algorithms themselves have a dance and a they rhythm. Do. They do. Yeah. You and have to know how to work with them, right? You do. You need to learn the advanced steps because they, they, there is a soul to the machine as well as the monster of the machine, which is Precisely. the overwhelm and the addiction and all that kind of stuff. But there is a soul sense, and to the extent that we can co-create with one another. It reminds keep. me of like plant medicine, right? Like if you yep. do it in the wrong way or you abuse it, it could like lead to a psychotic break. There's something that's very difficult to integrate. But if you use it in the right way with like cultivating with respect and like boundaries and only doing a little bit, it can contribute to a lot of like, a deeper relationship with yourself and a better sense of wholeness. Yeah, it is. It is part of opening the imagination matrix, right? So mm. I... um it's similar in some ways to working with very conscious and very um, supported plant medicine journeying. Uh, in this way, we're journeying without plant medicine and to, I just got back from Burning Man. So yeah, I was there during the mud and the rains and the whole thing. And, um, there was no Ebola outbreak confirmed. <laughs> there was no, there was a little sensation. <laughs> but there when I'm working, so I'm working, you know, with people because part of what I do is I work in the healer's tent there. So I, people from oh, the playa. That's so cool. Oh, one after the next coming in. And, and people you know, are so open there, I'd imagine, right? They're ready for it. So it's just like the perfect environment. It's perfect. And, and, and the vulnerability. So, you know, where it would take six weeks or to six months in some instances, you have 30 to 40 minutes and you're just there, present, open, vulnerable, channeling what's moving through and accessing imagination. What's beautiful there though, is that once the work, you know, comes to its visibility and mm. we have a sense of its presence and people come in with, you can imagine everything from heartbreak to oh, yeah. uh, you know, just A, B, C, and D, all the things that we can imagine that mm. are hard when things get escalated in a situation like that emotionally, psychologically. Once though we move through the processes that we're talking about, then you go back into the place, the motif of imagination because artistry of the burning man it's not a music festival it is an artistry yes and you are then leaving this talk session and you're moving back into the matrix of imagination that is that place and so because it's all about right walking around and seeing what what's around the other corner who you're yeah. gonna meet, right who you're going to meet what art you're going to experience what music comes forward what conversation you're going to be into yeah. it is an amazing way to keep imagination alive and active and to you know to harvest the hints that come forward when our psyche opens and soul extends and expands yeah it's wonderful uh, i mean it sounds beautiful i've had plenty of friends and just it's some a theme that's arising for me through our conversation is just the power that comes with understanding that there 
there are good and bad sides of everything, really embracing that duality because I already can hear some of my listeners saying, oh, Burning Man, that hippie shit, right? Like, it's like, no, it it can be that. I'm sure there are people that go there that are, you know, have not expanded their consciousness at all and they've bought all their outfits and they're just there to, you know, for the the show of it. But then there are people that go there with an intention. And I've had so many friends say just the, the people that they met there. And they also felt like it can get really, our society right now and our culture, people are so isolated. They're so lonely. People really only want to get to the surface level. I get so tired of meeting people and they just are like, how's the weather? How's this? Even sometimes with my family, it's like, then you go somewhere like that. You finally are surrounded by other people that want to have the deep conversations that want to go there. And it's just another way to feel less alone. And it feels like it's a very hopeful atmosphere. It, it certainly is. It can be. And I yeah, think exactly can be. That's the key, right? The key. Yeah, it can be. And of course, there's a little of the other always in community. And the good news is the community of Bernie Man lasts for about five nights, you know, six days. Mm-hmm. And so that's enough. That, that's not too much time for things to get reckless. <laughs> yeah. So it's, and it's enough time for people to really have the opportunity for those mm-hmm. that take the opportunity. Yeah. Um, to really, you know, sink into a quality of relationship and a way of being in imagination um, mm-hmm. that can be very valuable. As always, you know, one has to be in awareness and be conscious and so on. You talked in the book about a particular experience that you had where you used a device called the crown. Can, and just since we're on technology, I was like, oh, I should mention that. I had that written down as like a maybe question, but it feels really pertinent then. So can you tell listeners like what's the crown and what was your experience with this device? Alrighty. Let's <laughs> let's do this. Let's uh, do it. Let's well, go to the crown. All right, we can go to the crown. All right. So as I was working with the dig, I noticed that something else was going on, that my imagination was getting increasingly active and abundant and there was a different kind of intelligence emerging not artificial intelligence and not only iq intellectual intelligence but an imaginal intelligence and then i noticed that there was something that happened in my body that was changing that i was relaxing more you know i was feeling better emotionally physically psychologically something was going on so i thought well let's see I'm suggesting that there is an imaginal intelligence, and I talk about the matrix as four quadrants, which we won't necessarily go into now, but imagination is evolving. So how can we see if it's just a fantasy that I'm having, or if we can actually test this out, right? So this will help the skeptics out there. (laughs) Okay, so... Let's measure this. Let's measure this. Let's see if that is... So there is a group, a firm that is uh, really involved with uh, the neural physiology and can measure waves and brain uh, patterns and so on. And so the idea is that in the world of meditation, it's really abundant because that research has been going on for years and years and years and years. And when theta, um, theta brainwaves, which are acetylcholine essentially chemically, in other words, you relax more. Um, replace alpha, which is a little more adrenaline and a little more, you know, anxious and buzzy and, um, but also, you know, mobilized, let's say. So alpha, there's a crossover point. So when theta goes beyond alpha, something happens. The body shifts and changes. So meditation has been one of the ways to go to empty mind 
quote, end quote, not all meditation teachers. I want to be very conscious because there's so many extraordinary people in the world of meditation at the moment mm -hmm. in different kinds. But that whole fantasy, uh, well, it does um, lessen alpha and, you know, increases a little bit of theta. So my idea was, you know, I have that same experience when I'm in imagination. It's not empty mind. It's just imagining mind. Yes. It's active and engaged and it is really happening that's why i think a lot of people can get that how it's it's that listening to you describe that or reading that in the book helped me because sometimes it's like you described there's so many different types of meditation and that's why people should definitely do your research right because i got stuck thinking if i don't have a completely free mind of thoughts then i'm somehow doing meditation wrong and that's just not true you know it's it's not true at all no. So I thought, let's try this out. So I went and they had a crown. This is the headset that measures theta, alpha brainwaves, right? And I thought to myself, all right, let's give it a go. Mm -hmm. It's great because they had screens and, you know, you could, when the theta goes up, you could see the flashing on the lights and blah, blah, blah. you could see the whole thing visually. So it's yeah. kind of, so um, I put on the screen. I mean, I put on the crown. It was just perfect, the crown, right? Yeah, I, I was, was like very, that's also very like your crown was, chakra, right? On the crown. It was just, yeah, that was dramatic. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. and we're going and I do what they suggest, which is, you know, because it's all designed really for meditation. So yeah. the soft music comes, the eyes close, I go through their set of exercises and their set of instruction. And indeed, my body relaxes. And then I think, okay, game on. I'm going to try this other. So then so you're going to do the dig. I'm going to go to the dig. The call goes out. The gathering happens. Okay. Which means that this, I get myself ready to go into the portal on the dig with the soul companions and let go. So I'm letting go and I'm following their lead and I'm exploring the inner reaches, as Campbell says, the inner reaches of all this outer space, the outer reaches of inner space. Mm -hmm. So here I am in the dig and unbelievably. Well, not to me, but to all the people that were there that have been the scientists that were doing this. You were having your hypothesis validated. Yeah, the lights were flashing. Yeah. Were, I think it was what, 87% or something. Wow. It was, a, yeah, it was stunning. It was really remarkable. So and it, it showed, a, it showed that you were in like super theta. Super theta. And it was amazing. They were just in amazement. So I thought, okay, that's the quantitative study. Uh huh using science and the machines to really measure yes Let's do a qualitative study so uh -huh. uh, you know and i have many many people through the years that have worked with me in this that and the other so i got two really exceptionally gifted research folks from the university that put together a study and there was like a thousand four hundred people a lot of people were involved and we did the same kind of hypothesis testing that when you're in the place of imagination right mm -hmm. in the matrix of imagination in that story web what happens and lots of questions were asked of these people they responded to you know all these different surveys and it was remarkable the same same outcomes that when we're in imagination something different happens we have a sense of increased well-being we have a sense of connecting to our quality of life and to a calling and to a purpose we have a real emotional <clears throat> sense of wonder and to flow 
It's so curious because that's where flow comes in, right? It's like following your bliss, right? Like Joseph Campbell, just going with it. Yeah, you are in because you're part of, you're a participant in, not the director of, you're a participant in a journey through (laughs) imagination, through the deep psyche, right? Through the autonomous psyche. That's when I say autonomous psyche, it has a life of its own, right? Yeah. The psyche has its own quality, its own experience. And to be able to participate, to actually be invited into that movement, into the dance. Is yes. Right. And not feel like it's kind of jerking you around, right? Because everyone can relate. You know, when you snap at someone and like it happens to me, if I'm like really hormonal and I have to really think, I'll snap and think, what just came over me? That wasn't me. That's a perfect example of how your psyche is running you, even though you may not think it is. Yeah. And notice what happened there. What just came over me? So mm-hmm. here we change the question, not yeah. what just came over me. Who's this? That's Who? such a good reframe. Isn't that wonderful? Because then we yeah. get to the figure behind that, right? Even yeah. Hormones are involved. Of course they are. And of course it's going to create preconditions. Of course. Mm-hmm. And who's visiting now? And then to get to know that one, to have that one as a companion on your side rather than on your case, and then needing to project yeah. it out, guilty or possessed by it or identified with it. It's so cool to have that bit of relational distance. And then that one, believe it or not, becomes a really helpful presence and another support yes. in these journeys. Yeah. Ugh. So beautiful. I feel like the listeners will have gotten some really amazing reframes from this. And um, I'll tie it up, Steve, but with one last question, because I feel like this is a really good one to end on. What do my listeners need to let go of in order to access their imagination matrix? Like, What are some really essential things that we need to release and let go of? This could be like behaviors, beliefs, you know, preconceived ideas, whatever you feel called to share. All right, let's just do that spontaneously and see what comes forward. Mm -hmm. First thing is letting go of control, you know, the need to be in control and replacing that with the possibility of inviting curiosity into your life, right? Mm -hmm. To be curious, right? It's funny, I don't feel out of control when I'm curious. When I'm following curiosity, I actually feel much more engaged and involved and connected to myself and to the world around me. Me too. I never really thought about that because control is my main main struggle. Yeah. Yeah. I want to control people and fix them and help them. and, And I never feel very in control when I'm controlling. Yeah, exactly. Right. The next one I think is it's the one that we all carry with us. You know, it's the judgment, the inner critic, that one that is hard on ourselves or hard on other people. It manifests in so many different ways, right? It's not, again, not how do I get rid of this? Because, you know, to, every time we try to get rid of something, try to annihilate it, try to kill it off, it only seems to come back more so. So I don't think that's the answer, right? But who is visiting now? You know, what is happening here? We get curious again, always evoking the curious mind. And that one, that inner critic or that judge, you know, who are you? I mean, who are you really? You know, the other one is the one that hates or destroys the killer, you know? 
And just think of the Star Wars. It's a beautiful analogy. We all grew up with it and have seen it in all the generations. Now it's three generations. <laughs> and then you mentioned Joe Campbell, Joseph. So Joe Ca Joseph Campbell did, in fact, um, he was here in Santa Barbara at Pacifica. Uh, right before he went, he, we were having lunch and he said, you know, Steve, I, I got an invitation by this, seems like a fine young man, you know, up in the Marin County area. It's Lucas, right? Um, and he's inviting me to his ranch up there. You know? And do you think I should go? And I said, yeah, yeah, Joseph, I think so. Because I was at <laughs> film school back then, you know. Yeah, yeah, he was like an icon even then. <laughs> yeah. I think wait, the guy, wait, who was, whose ranch did he go to? Lucas, George Lucas. Oh, just the creator of Star Wars, no big deal. You think I should go? <laughs> yeah, well, he, he was from another world, another energy. He hardly, he never had a television, hardly. Wow. Went but he was a brilliant person, work of myth. And for and listeners, George Lucas drew upon Joseph Campbell's hero's journey concept to create Star Wars. Am I, is that correct, Steve? And yes, and he forever gives Joseph Campbell credit. Credit, yeah. Yeah, in yeah. the book of Hero's Journey. And I mean, Harry Potter, many of these, like J Tolkien, I mean, so many of our, and even without knowing Joseph Campbell, right? It's not like he just kind of gave language to it, but there's always been, I mean, the Iliad, right? Uh, there's a hero's journey in almost every major story. Yeah. I digress. Anyway, back to your story. Should oh, I go no. to George Lucas's ranch? Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, probably a good idea. Um, <laughs> and so th the point is that he gathered information from Joseph's teachings, right? From myth and story. Lucas, who already had the capacity and the incredible innate intelligence to do his artistry and his work, mm -hmm. um, so much a part of the story web, of course, but then followed that story and then we grew up with it. As the next generation, now there's part one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and multiple different mediums. The point is, um, Luke, he needed a couple. Really. <laughs> he needed a couple soul companions, right? Sure and then did. he's going to face Darth Vader. Yeah, Darth Vader, which is a really destructive figure, right? The shadow. The archetype. The shadow destructive figure, right? And But with the companionship of his soul companions, right? something else he did not meet him at the end with pure force and the threat of annihilating him alone he did something else right he mm. met a way of imagination just to use that word he met him in a different way he worked with the force using that uh, metaphor the important part here is when the mask was lifted behind the veil is something else right and what it turned out to be of course was his father and a presence that was going to be incredibly important to his calling and his destiny for the wow. rest of his life. And so when you ask the question, what do we give up? We need to identify that one, right? The one that's mm -hmm. so harsh on us, the destroyer, mm -hmm. that one, the Darth Vader-esque type. And we need to say, who's visiting now? And then we need to gather our soul companions, you know, our Yodas, or Obi-Wan, <laughs> or, you know, beloved. Or Baby Yoda. Baby Yoda is so cute. I it's want so my cute. own inner Baby Yoda. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. So Absolutely. cute. So cute. Yeah. Oh, that's, that is just so beautiful. And, you know, the, the, it's kind of funny early on in the podcast journey, I did an episode, which is now in the archives, um, 
because I've gained a lot of production skills since then, but I did an exploration on the concept of, or the character of Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader. And uh, so many articles online are like, does Darth Vader have BPD? It's just so funny, but it's just the, what's coming through now is that, you know, as George Lucas ended up doing, you know, his prequels and everything about the life of Anakin Skywalker and how he came to be this dark figure. It reminds me also, I just watched a um, really good movie uh, about like, it's a new interpretation of King Arthur, I think by Guy Ritchie, but uh, same thing, like dark character, the, the, um, you know, the antagonist that's against King Arthur and how did he become what he became? It's because he was someone who was struggling for power. He wanted to be seen. And so he ended up having to like sacrifice his daughters to this God, you know, um, under, under the ocean to be able to get power. And every time he killed one of his daughters, he didn't do it with joy. He did it with great pain, but he did it anyway, because he wanted power and he wanted to be seen more. And I love the idea of understanding how these dark parts of ourselves became what they were and how they actually never started out that way. Remember, we need our support and protection and the yeah. beloved to come up into contact with them so we don't get blown mm -hmm. away right? and it's not harmful and dangerous. And then too, you know, it's the soul companions that have the capacity to make contact and engage along with us. It's not the ego alone, right? No. We are inner family, our inner community of figures. And that's when we make the engagement. And it is remarkable because then those that are so destructive, they've been with us since we're little kids, yep. right? All those behaviors that we've suffered through in our lives, those figures then evolve and yeah. they have their own sense of calling and they become really helpful instead of hurtful, generative instead of painful. So beautifully put. And I recommend listeners to read Steve's book. I'll be linking it in the episode description. And by the time this episode comes out, it will be available for you to purchase. And there's just, there's so much. I could have talked to Steve for probably four hours about all this stuff in his book. And the con, there's a concept that he goes through of, you know, breaking through those quadrants that you discussed that I also found very helpful. So if you are fascinated by this, I highly recommend that you dive into his work. And Steve, I always allow my guests to finish up with just how, if listeners are really resonating with what you're sharing, other than buying your book, how else can they connect with your work? Where else can they find you? Um, and if you have any final thoughts to leave listeners on too, I'll just open the floor for you. Okay. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Well, uh, yeah, they can find me dreamtending.com. That's the easiest way right now. And there's all kinds of ways of connecting with me and getting involved with this work. Uh, I do uh, every Tuesday, I do a broadcast that's free and available to the full extended community. There are people that in this community all over the world, right? In fact, now that I have this moment, I would like to summarize, I would like to share something. There are people that we work with that are part of the extended community and they and their families, like so many People everywhere in the world at this point are in a suffering pain. In each part of the world, there are small communities that are involving themselves with this work. And I know all of us that are listening will send our love, our care, our compassion, our support to those folks and their families and their friends. They are in such challenge at the moment. And, you know, through the imagination, we can send and receive. It's, we're, it's, it's possible to open our hearts 
send care, compassion, support, and also receive um, from folks everywhere and landscapes that are in need of us as much as we are in need of them. So I appreciate the opportunity to place that here. Of course. Well, thank you so much for being here on the podcast with me, Steve. This conversation was selfishly very beneficial and exciting for me, but I have no doubt that the listeners will also gain just as much value. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. Thank you. All right, my lovely listener, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Dr. Eisenstadt as much as I did. As usual, there will be a list of resources in the episode description, which will include a link to purchase the Imagination Matrix book, which is also available via audiobook if you are interested more so in listening rather than reading, and You all know how much I love when authors narrate their own work, and this particular Audible offering, Stephen narrates himself. So if you'd prefer to listen rather than read, it's available for you in that format too. If you're interested in diving more deeply into the power of your dreams, Stephen also has a program called Dream Tending, and it's the pioneering work that is based on more than four decades of his teaching, study, and practical application. Through the website at dreamtending.com, there are various different programs available. There are virtual courses that walk you through how to tap more deeply into the power of your dreams, and also live certificate programs. And I will be actually joining the Deep Imagination and Dream Tending Certificate 1 program starting in November 2023. I'm extremely excited about it and I know that it will allow me to deepen my work here with listeners on the podcast and also in my own life. So if this is something you're interested in checking out, you can go to dreamtending.com. Their team is incredibly supportive and open to questions. So if you're interested, you can go to their website and click the about section and go to general information and the detailed contact information as well as an email and phone number is there for you in case you'd like to know more. That is the end of the public version of Back from the Borderline for this week. As a reminder, my premium submarines over on Patreon receive full-length episodes as well as 115 plus hours of bonus content. You also will receive episodes without mid-roll ads, so if you'd just like to hear all my interviews uninterrupted, consider signing up today. Patreon has also just released a chat feature, which I am about to enable in the next couple of days at the time of recording. That's October 21st, 2023. So if you want to chat and connect with other Back From The Borderline listeners, that is going to be a possibility for you. So if you're interested in full-length episodes, bonus content, my voice notes, as well as full episodes of Unbuttoned with Molly and Zaz, no ads, you know, just all the benefits. Become a premium submarine today. If you'd like to do that, you can check out the link in the episode description and sign up. I have quite literally purchased bougie coffees that were more expensive than my monthly submarine membership. So I'd say it is a steal of a deal. And if you haven't yet, also don't forget to subscribe to my Substack. 
I release monthly writings there and you can also subscribe for a paid membership to that too because with each of my articles that I release on Substack, you will be able to unlock additional resources. Also on my website, I wanted to let you all know that I just released a Amazon book recommendation list. All of you have been asking me for a list of books that I recommend in recovery journeys. So I spend about six hours going through all of my books on Audible and the ones on my shelves and categorizing them and organizing them into different spaces so that you can pick and choose what you want to dive into. So that list is also available on my website. All you have to do is go to backfromtheborderline.com, click into the website, just make a click, and then you'll be taken to my link tree where you can access all of those links. Over on the premium version of the podcast this week, I'm going to be doing a whole listener Q&A episode. So if you want to unlock that, you're going to need to subscribe. So come into my open Patreon arms and subscribe and join the amazing community of over 600 premium submarines. All right. See you next time. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.